All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast, that is. We're heading to week seven. Website, you know where to go, mwwire.com. I'm Jeremy Moss, joined by uh, Matt Kennerly right over there. And Matt, uh, hopefully my new microphone's not crushing people's ears. Uh, so far, so good on my end, at least. Good, because you told me, hey, you're breaking up. Hey, there's a there's a little glitchiness going on during the show. But uh, cross your fingers. Also, announcement at the beginning of the show, because we need to mention it now. We did make a switch to podcast. Uh, was it provider, Matt? Is that the best way to put it? I believe so. We're now over at anchor.fm or just anchor just search them online you'll find it so it's going to be there for sure it's going to be in our article we put out and we tweet we'll put the link to the article the players in there so the reason we're mentioning this because it should i I emphasize should just go update to apple podcast stitcher overcast anywhere you get your podcast it should show up there but in case it doesn't that could be why so get the anchor app you'll get it there for sure basically right away whenever i upload it afterwards so check that for a while they say it could take a week or two hopefully not but just go that way and you'll find it i guess um but hopefully it's everywhere you normally get your podcast so if there's a little delay that would be why because i'm trying to get some contact but if you just do the anchor app you could listen directly there and yeah take it's a hassle for a minute or something but hey hopefully it works better than what we did before and yeah, new beginnings, sort of, not really, but um, hopefully nothing changes, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're making our own personnel changes, as <laughs> yes. it were. Mid-season cha- switch-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, I've been trying to do this for a while, but I finally got them like, hey, email the other guys, can you please just send over our, our RSS feed? Come on, that's all I need, send it to them. So we're good to go. So yeah, go to Anchor app, and if you don't see it right away in your normal feed, that's where it would be. So we'll try to make that clear. And I guess there's also... I was poking around. There's some sort of maybe voice message option if you want to call in and yell at us or something, or questions that way. That's a possibility on the on our main page on Anchor. So if you want to do that, and we'll see how it goes, I guess, because that could be interesting or weird or fun, something different, yeah, right? Exactly. So here we are, week seven. We're getting to games here. We have what we got: one, two, three, four, five, six games again. Not too bad. We have some big games, but we start Friday night again with. Uh, can we start calling we need a name for friday night football matt because these games have been like sorry to offend people it's gonna sound bad but not the best matchups on friday night for the most part the past couple weeks it's been i'm well i mean boise state and air force is pretty good i know i'm just saying i've seen the past couple of weeks well that was like oh that was three weeks ago wasn't it (laughs) the past two disregard okay i was careful to say a couple not a few (laughs) but the game the game last week san jose state new mexico wasn't too bad it was a close game a lot of points if you're a spartans fan it was pretty good this friday we got i don't know we'll just say friday football who cares it's football we like it we'll pay attention we'll watch so we have colorado state at new mexico so our buddy roger did a piece for the the new mexico side mm-hmm. do you want to take a guess um i'll give you uh, a couple things here do you know how, how many how many games it's been since uh excuse me colorado state has defeated an fbs opponent Ooh, okay uh man, I gotta think about that. Would it? It would have been sometime, probably in like September last year. Was it? Was it the Arkansas game that they played? No, it was. It, first off, it's a ten-game losing streak. It's New Mexico. Well, oh yeah, that's right. They did win that game last year, October thirteenth, and they needed a walk-off field goal to do it. Yeah, they won twenty eighteen. So they've lost ten in a row versus FBS opponents. If that doesn't get Mike Bobo maybe fired, I don't know what will. Right? You think? Yeah. <laughs> so that that's got kind of a little tidbit there. 
So, in this game itself, it's at Albuquerque. Rams are a three-point road favorite. Did you also see the tweet recently how excited Lobos are for how many tickets they sold? Well, it's a game they have a chance of winning. Yeah. Also, it's only 13,000 tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, we're excited for this. I'm like, hmm, are you really? You got to start somewhere, right? You know what they need to do? Um, I think the Balloon Festival this weekend as well. Maybe that's why it's a Friday night game. That's like a really big deal. Why don't they just get like a, everybody tickets to those things? Like you, if you buy a ticket to the football game, you get whatever they tickets or passes for the, for that huge air balloon festival, hot air balloon. You get to get, get both, right? It's not a bad idea. But then again, people made, oh, if this is a better deal, I'll just get a ticket and go to the air balloon festival and not go to football. But you got to get things outside the box, folks. That's a, I've been there once. It's amazing. It's like thousands of hot air balloons. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think that's this weekend. But the game itself. All right, so we got some quarterback shuffling, Matt. What, are we, what, what is each team going to do at quarterback, do you think? Well, uh, at least on Colorado State's side, it was actually our, our good buddy Justin Michael over there at, uh, what is it, BSN Rams? Yes. I forget the exact name. I apologize. They changed their name earlier on Facebook, I noticed. Uh, D-N-V-R underscore Rams. Yeah. So, so yeah, he, he had noted earlier today, we're recording on Thursday afternoon, that uh, Patrick O'Brien is going to be the guy for Colorado State. Smart move. Bobo does not need to mix things up and be weird and while bob davy has been you know a little less clear-cut uh in looking at the depth chart tobacco Toyota is still listed at the top as qb1 there's no an or attached to his name or anything like that so i would guess that he will get the start but it's still kind of you know anybody's guess as to how much playing time that sharon jones is actually going to receive because it it I get the impression that he will. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of how much. But it's like he also, like, it's not a bad move if he can run the ball, which he does well. It's just when he decides to put it in the air, usually bad things happen. And that's yeah, the problem. I mean, it's like he can move the ball. That, I put that stat out on, on Twitter, I think it was a couple of days ago now, where it was, I forget who exactly I was quote tweeting, but he has an interception rate now of 7.8% which I don't have the figures for every single Mountain West quarterback in the conference, but uh, I can tell you that's pretty bad. No, that's not so good. So I don't really know why they would – I don't really know why they would bother. I mean, the only thing I could think of is that you know, neither guy has been particularly good about being careful with the football, and that's something that we've talked about in past podcasts is they've really sunk themselves with just too many takeaways on offense. No, that's – Correct, because like I, said, like I mentioned, if you watch Sharon Jones, he runs the ball well, but it just kills him. Like they want to throw the ball, they want to move the ball. Like I know the Rams are, I think they're minus. The Rams are minus ten. Lobos aren't much better, are they? They are minus nine and minus nine and minus ten respectively. Yeah. In Mexico so, and Colorado State. Each team needs to protect the ball. Like if you just a little bit here or there, and that could be a difference in a game or two on the on the win loss column. So hmm. this could be an ugly game because we saw San Diego State CSU. They fought, who was, I think O'Brien was a quarterback, the botched handoff, which led to a quick Aztec score. It's stuff like that where you got to protect the ball, don't turn it over. But with New Mexico, it's like, I get it, they want to try to throw, but when you're a guy, and when you know if you're if they're going to bring in Jones, assuming they will at some point, you got to realize, limit the amount of passes he throws or make the passes where it's going to be the route, a safer type of play where interception, I know you can't just run the short route, it's never going to be a pick, but maybe safer type of pass plays where 
a chance of interceptions limited, whether it's bringing in an extra tight end, somebody else to block where you're only sending three guys out for a pass. We have the protection better so he's not scrambling or being pressured to make that type of throw. Well, it makes me wonder whether we're going to see more of more effort to get Marcus Williams involved in the offense because you know, he was one of those guys where, you know, thinking back to our top 50, for instance, like he was a guy who was kind of on the periphery of the conversation. We thought that he might be among the best handful of tight ends in the conference. But, you know, to date, he only has nine catches and 190 yards. But we know that he has a little bit of big play capability because his longest reception of the year is 42 yards. So we know he can get down the field. We know he can make plays. And so I wonder, you know, if they try to supplement at least the shot plays that they take down the field, because at least you know, for the most part, that seems to be what most of the passing offense is predicated upon is, you know, taking shots down the field, whether it's to Jordan Cress or Antelope or whomever, or uh, whomever rather. But I think Williams might be the kind of guy where if they want to try and just keep the chains moving or even just to set themselves up with more favorable passing situations on third down or anything like that, whether he's a guy who finally steps up and maybe catches four or five passes and, and maybe doesn't necessarily light up the stat sheet, but just plays a bigger role in getting them in better situations for the offense to function. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, you, know what, you know what I'm thinking about this game? You know the Rams, they haven't been great this year. I honestly think this might be like a blowout for Colorado State. Okay, so explain your reasoning. <laughs> Have you seen New Mexico secondary? I have. Okay. I know that the Rams, okay, if you look at just pure talent, the Rams should just crush this team. Marvin Kennedy's pretty good. Even, I'm not sure, I got to double check Warren Jackson's health, but like Nate Craig Myers, Dante Wright, all these guys who are pretty good on offense, they should be able to score. Maybe not a block because the defense is pretty awful, but the offensive power that the Rams have and have shown at times this year, typically, there's no reason this game should be close. Like, they can run the ball pretty well. Patrick O'Brien, I know when he played tough, here's the thing, when he played tougher teams, he did struggle, like, versus San Diego State. But didn't he have, like, what, 400 yards against some bad team, a couple weeks ago, Toledo or something? They had to play catch-up against Toledo. Yeah, yeah. so there's that. And- but, like, he's shown he can move the ball and make plays. And so I'm thinking, like, there could be a lot of points for the Rams because if it gets out ahead, like, let's just say it's 17-0, Rams got to a, a decently two touchdowns, two to three touchdowns in that range. There's no way Lobos are going to come back. I don't think they're going to. That means they're going to have to throw the ball. I mean, sure, if if it's Sharon Jones, if he comes in, interceptions happen. Toyota doesn't throw the ball as good, but he may not pick it off. But they don't have. I don't think they have the offense to catch up. And I think Colorado State can get out to a quick early lead and then just kind of take that to the end and may win like thirty to thirteen, which not necessarily blow up, but win handily. So here's what I'll say about that. Um, and to kind of to to back up a couple points you were talking about, because you mentioned Warren Jackson very briefly, according to Kelly Lyle of the Colorado in that he is on track to play Friday night. Um, but conversely, Toby McBride and Manny Jones may not. Um, McBride is listed as questionable and Manny Jones is doubtful to the effect that, you know, he's not even listed on the two or actually he is listed on the two deep, but it's still kind of anybody's guess as to how much of an impact he's going to make. And, yeah, I do get your point that New Mexico doesn't have a great pass defense. You know, to, they've given up 9.2 yards per attempt, which is the worst in the conference. They've given up a 63% completion rate, 
which is second worst in the conference or third worst in the conference. They only have one interception, but I think that they have some strengths that they might be able to take advantage of. Like one of the things that I think is worth noting when you think about turnovers in particular, especially as it relates to Colorado state, we talked about fumble luck in the past and that's something that they've had strangely enough, really kind of they've had good luck on defense when it comes to recovering fumbles that they create, but they've also had really bad luck on offense with the fumbles that they've lost. Like they're, they're number one in the conference as far as, you know, 13 fumbles, but they've lost 10 of them. And that 76%, 77% is, you know, the worst such figure in the conference. And if that's the kind of thing that New Mexico can exploit, if they can create opportunities for themselves, we know that the Rams are just as likely to be careless with the football. And, yeah, you know, if those key guys up front aren't, you know, available or aren't 100%, even if they do play in this game, I think it's worth noting that if you go back and look at what the Lobos have done on the ground, they haven't been quite at the same level as they were during the kind of, I guess you would call them the Bob DeBessy heyday. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you go back and look at their game log, you'll notice one very particular thing, which is that on a per play basis, and this isn't adjusting for sacks or anything like that, but on a per game basis, they've actually gotten better on the ground as they go to the, you know, to the, to the end of that last week against San Jose state, they were up to 5.8 yards per carry. We also know that the Rams are not very good at defending the run and maybe part of New Mexico's success is predicated as we've talked about at length in, in previous preview podcasts is that, you know, they, they have more of an explosive element to their ground game rather than uh, an efficient one, which I think is borne out in some of the more advanced numbers. You know, when you look at opportunity rate, for instance, which is how often the offensive line is doing their job and running backs are getting to the second level. They're only right around the national average. It's 47.6%. But the only team in the conference with more 20-yard running plays than the Lobos so far, or oddly enough, you know, the Rams have just as many. They both have 11 each. And Wyoming is number one in the conference with 12. So that's something to keep an eye on, where if Amari Davis can get sprung open for like a 20 or a 30-yard game, that's the kind of thing that they may choose to lean on, not only to take pressure off of whoever's throwing the football, whether it's Tuiaudi or Jones, but to just kind of take advantage of a weak spot that Colorado State really hasn't been able to resolve at all this year. So are you leaning maybe New Mexico? Is that what I'm hearing here? I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I just, I think that it mostly lays out the case that the game is going to be a lot closer than I think a lot of people expect. Cause I think you can make the case for Colorado state, but I think when you look closely at how both teams performed, you can make just as reasonable a case for the Lobos as well. And you know, when you go and look at like FEI, for instance, and you look at the, the rankings of points per drive, you know, <laughs> when you take into account offense and defense, you know, they're both, definitely in the negative like colorado state's 103rd new mexico's 106th but when you look at offensive points per drive in particular it's actually the lobos who've been slightly better on a per drive basis than the rams have and so that's something to keep in mind there is i'm just i don't know maybe i'm just the lobo stink i don't know what it is but you're right when you look at it rams like i mentioned before 10 game losing streak versus fps opponents they haven't played all that great 
the, over the years, but they do show sh- signs of offense, like 30-plus points versus Toledo. They have talent on this team. It's – when I mean blowout, I just think it might be a comfortable win for the Rams. I, I'm, I'm picking the Rams to win. I think they're going to win. I just don't trust Mexico if they gets out to a um, – especially for a team with, like I mentioned, CSU, that can actually move the ball on offense. So, if like I mentioned before, there's a big league lead, excuse me, I don't think Mexico can come back. If it's back and forth, yeah, because you mentioned turnovers, they're both bad in turn, keeping the ball, either protecting it or giving it up. There's that going forward. Not, I guess, going against each team, I guess, if you're the defense, as it goes for you to hopefully have those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think, like, when I look overall talent, I'm not saying the Rams have been lucky or unlucky or anything like that. Like, they got crushed by Arkansas. Colorado, they were sort of close through most of the game until, like, the last 20 minutes. It kind of fell apart. Aztecs game, yeah, it was 14 points, but had they not put the backup, that made it a little bit different. But that game was probably not close as we thought it was. Utah State was close, but then again, same thing in Colorado, they fell apart in the fourth quarter. I think. Okay, so I have I have one last question for you then. Okay. Because one one I think maybe the biggest thing among all the things we've been talking about is that New Mexico has also been fairly stout defending the run as well. You know, they're right in the middle of the conference, you know, seventh uh, overall as far as, you know, 3.71 yards per carry allowed. You know, it's right behind Boise State, if you want to put that into context. Mm-hmm. And they face, you know, they face just about as many attempts as they have. So my question for you is, if they can contain Marvin Kinsey, which, you know, there are other numbers to suggest that they might be able to, you know, because they have a better stuff rate on on defense than uh, the Rams do as well. Do you trust Patrick O'Brien to make the plays that they'll need him to make if that happens against his defense? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Okay. All yeah. right. And also, it's not like the Rams' rushing attack's great. They're middle of the pack in the conference in yards per play, like four and a half, four six. Mm-hmm. Kenji's getting what he's what six point four. I have in front of me here. So yeah, yeah, it'll be a concern, but I don't have any issue where. Look at the receivers the Rams have. They have three really good wideouts. Lobos can't cover them, and that's why I think that'll be a difference. Even even if Kinsey slows down, O'Brien may have a mistake here or there just because he's a newish guy with what? This is a start number three, th- mm-hmm. fourth game he's played. I think he'll be fine. There could be some hiccups because they're not great, and he's a new, newer player, and the defense won't help him out. But I, that's why I'm leaning toward the Rams because they have overall talent-wise. You go with the team that has more talent, and I think that's the Rams. Okay. So what do we got for the SFPI or S, yeah, FEI and all that type of stuff? All right, so FEI likes the, likes the Rams, uh, but not by much. It's only 1.2 points between them and the Lobos. It's close one. Uh, Bill Connolly's SP Plus metric also likes the Rams, but only by 4.5 with a 60% win probability. So what do you got? What's your prediction? I think it's more likely that everything falls into place for the Lobos. What? I'm going to take the Lobos to win. I'm oh, going to say... Sure, go for it. 28-24. 28-24? What's your, give a quick... I know we discussed the game a bit. What's your quick summation to how that'll come out? 28-24. Uh, they force the Rams to throw, and bad things happen. And the offense does just enough with the ground game to kind of keep the game from being thrown into the quarterback's hands on their own end. All right. Just so you know, you and Jesse are the only people taking the Mexico straight up. 
Okay. Just saying. So you're in company with one other person. You're not alone, but close to it. <laughs> what about what about you? What do you got? Oh yeah, my, I guess my pick here. Well, I think people can tell. Colorado State thirty-one, New Mexico seventeen. All right then. That's a lot for your, also the over/under really quick is like sixty-six points. So this could be like maybe a sneaky shootout game. Where did we mention? Did we mention it's on CBS Sports Network? By the way, thank you for that. And it's what six p.m. Mountain Time there locally, and five p.m. Pacific. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, get to CBS Sports Network to watch the game and let us know what you think about it, folks. I guess that's where we're getting here. Next game Saturday, we have a full slate of games. One one non-conference game. Is that right? That's right. That's right. UNLV one and four UNLV at one and four Vanderbilt on SEC Network. That is one p.m. Pacific. For those out in Vegas and anywhere else, um, how bad is it for the Rebels? Like, how bad is it? <laughs> you're going on the road. Okay, we know they're not the favorite. You're playing a one-win Vanderbilt team, but you're a two-touchdown underdog. Uh, yeah, it's 14 and a half, right? Uh, I see 14 here, but still two touchdowns. Close enough. It's ugly. <laughs> yeah, and the only win for Vandy is a 24-18 win over Northern Illinois, who's not what Northern Illinois usually is. I mean, the real irony is that Vandy's also 0-5 against the spread. <laughs> so what's Lobos against the spread? I mean, um, Rebels. Do you know that? Uh, let me pull that up real quick. Because they, uh, let's see, 1-4. I think maybe I have it here as well on ESPN. They're 2-3. and three. Okay. Eh, not great. Not great. So, Rebels are still, are Monty Rogers still not healthy? He's not getting the start, so there's that. Um. You know what really needs to happen for Rebels? Just give it to Charles Williams. Just give it to him the whole time. Can he God, play, please? Can he take every snap? He just Wildcat yeah, let him do run a little it. bit of Wildcat, yeah. The entire game, do you just run it. Call, call it a little bit of running Rebel. Yeah, let's get the running Rebs out there to do it. Take the basketball name over and just give it to him because he is the only reason to have a chance this game to win. And that's something that you know Tony Sanchez has come out and said that they're going to. I don't. I don't, I don't know if you would necessarily call it going back to basics, but just kind of going back to what they know their strength is. Well, they don't know that, that Charles Williams is the strength of their team. They do not realize that. I have. I mean, I don't know <laughs> if they don't realize it or just have been neglecting it. Um, you know, it was it was in an article from uh, Mike Grimaldo over at the Las Vegas Sun where Sanchez admitted against Boise State that they went away from the running game too soon, even despite the fact that you know, still only 17 nothing by halftime. Mm-hmm. And it was even, you know, the margin of, you know, defeat was a little bit less than that for most of that first half. But they just weren't giving Williams the ball. So I think you could probably expect to see a steady dose of him. And, you know, if you're a Rebels fan, it's it, it's not only that it's the strength of that, you know, offense, but Vandy doesn't have a great defense either. Nope. You know, just on a per play basis, they are dead last in the SEC, and it's not even close. Yeah, you know, they they're giving up seven point five eight yards per play, uh, and that's almost a yard and a half worse than the next worst team, which is Mississippi State. Oddly enough, they're that so bad. there's there's going to be opportunity oh, there. Also, really quick, well, I know to discuss this later. They're also lasting yards per play in offense. <laughs> yeah, that too. And, and coinc- coincidentally enough, both of these teams have given up the exact same amount of points per game. Oh, gee, that's what is that number? I don't have it right in front of me. That's thirty-seven point four. One another. I got the stat of the game right here, Matt. We're throwing out numbers. If you guys want to go to this game to go to Nashville, two dollar tickets right now. Two dollars. That's a steal. Is it? 
<laughs> hey, you know what? It's I, I imagine it's gonna be very nice outside. Sixty-two degrees, it says, middle of the afternoon yeah, you game. Go, you know, you go back, you, you kick your legs up on the seat in front of you because exactly. there's not gonna be anybody and, in there. And stretch your arms next to you on each side. <laughs> yeah, just you know, put up a little pyramid of beer cans or whatever. You're good to go. Or you could be the Kansas knitting fan. That too. That goes in the seats, but. Like this game, like the, how bad Vanderbilt is, and they're that big of a favorite. How bad is UNLV, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we know we know what the weapons are that UNLV has. It's just they have to utilize them better. And I think that you could probably say the same thing about the Commodores too, because it's not like they aren't without talent. You know, some of their struggles so far are a result of some of the teams that they played. Uh, because like you, know, you could say that you could say that the numbers are skewed a little bit because they got pounded by both Georgia and LSU at home. Well, but I think it might be more instructive, perhaps, to look at what they were able to do in the one game that they won against Northern Illinois, which was one defend the run. You know, they only gave up about three and a half yards per carry in that win over the Huskies, and it was by far their best performance with their own ground game. You know, they were averaging seven yards of carry on the ground. So I think that we know UNLV's had its ups and downs as far as being able to defend the run. You know, if you just look at line yards, for instance, they're 108th nationally. They're 101st in opportunity rate. So they just haven't really gotten into the backfield that much. You know, they're 92nd by stop rate as well. So they're not, they're not getting as many TFLs as you would have hoped coming into the year. And the guy that Vanderbilt has in the backfield, Kashawn Vaughn, hasn't been quite as explosive as he was in 2018, but he's still perhaps one of the best running backs in the SEC. I think overall he is he's third as far as his total rushing yards, uh, but he's averaging 5.3 yards per carry, and he's going to be a focal point, I think, early and often in this game. And we know that they still have a very, very good tight end in Jared Pinckney. Another part of Vanderbilt's problems so far is that they just haven't been able to get the ball into his hands. I think he only has like nine or ten catches so far this year. Pretty sure they will this week. You would think so. Yeah. And I was going to say, even beyond that, even though they haven't been able to get the ball in Pinckney's hands, they do have another guy, and I think, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Kalijah Lipscomb. You know, 30 catches, 337 yards, and two touchdowns so far, which may not scream like you know, potentially dangerous weapon, but if he can be a possession receiver and keep the chains moving, you know, UNLV has been a little better defending the pass, but they haven't been like world beaters at it. And so, you know, there's plenty of opportunity, I think, for Vanderbilt to kind of turn things around on the offensive side of things if UNLV is not ready for it. Yeah, and for you keep it going for that same type of area of play like looking at the sack it sack yardage or sacks for against uh vandy here mm-hmm. it's about four three a game they have 12 13 sacks i guess 12 for riley neal there but they if that's an issue maybe i don't know if you has the guys to get in there to make those plays but that's an area where there could be something going their way get to the quarterback they're not completing a decent amount of percentage of passes but being sacked as many many times as they had this year for vanderbilt like, yes, they have the playmakers. Like, their passing game's not too bad. Decent running back there, and like uh, Kishong Vaughn. But if they can get to that backfield for the offensive line, it's not extremely great for Vanderbilt. Maybe that's near they can get to it. But I would expect Vandy to probably move the ball 
this will be – I'm pretty confident saying this. Vanderbilt will have its best offensive game this weekend. That would not be surprising, now. No, but I could see also UNLV like, can get to the backfield and get some sacks because Vandy's offensive line is not good. Yeah, I mean, they have – I mean, again, some of that might do, be due yeah. to the fact that they faced Georgia and LSU. Yeah. But, you know, they're they're right around the national average as far as overall sack rate allowed. It's 5.9%, which yeah. is 64th yeah. in the country. Just okay. But, yeah, but still, so that, I'm just looking for areas where maybe they can get back there and make some moves. But just, I guess, one note, UNLV is losing offensive lineman Matt Brayton in this game. He's out with a concussion. So who knows if that'll make an issue for the running game. But again, it, I think it's the game plan simple. Give it the ball to Charles Williams. Um, with uh, and, Ke- and Keenan Oldland, let him or Oldblad, excuse me, let him make do what he can do. I guess don't make him do too much. He's been okay, but not really that good. You know what I mean? Like Max Gilliam's back. I guess he's working with the second team offense. He, I wouldn't be surprised if he played for some reason. Mm-hmm. If Keenan Oldland is playing not great because he hasn't been all that good this year. And if Sanchez goes to Jillian, it's like, okay, what are you going to do now if you go to your third quarterback? He's turned into Mike Bobo here. What are you trying to do for who can do what and play? But I I think, like, is Coach Sanchez overthinking stuff? Because there's always, like he, you mentioned in an article, like, well, maybe we went away from the run. They need to, like, stubbornly stick to that to have a chance, in my opinion, in this game. I mean, and not only that, like if they want to throw the ball, I think they've just got to give Oblad opportunity to to get some easy throws. Mm-hmm. And so with the same thing that we just talked about with New Mexico, like UNLV's got a pair of tight ends that have been pretty solid in the early going in uh, Gio Fa- uh, Faulo and Noah Bean. You know, those are a pair of guys who are averaging about 12 yards per catch and they have 19 catches between them. And Vandy... You know, they they have a pass defense that I think is probably susceptible. Like they're next to last in passes defended in the SEC, and again, some of that might have to do with the fact that they faced you know their opponents that they have. But you know, just in terms of opponents' passer rating, for instance, they are dead last in that as well, and they only have two interceptions. They're giving up nine yards per attempt. So, you know, if they can give Oblad opportunities to move the chains early, that could keep the Commodores from keying on Williams or whoever gets most of the, the lion's share of carries on the ground game. All right, so what, what do we got here? What's like FEI and SP plus think about Vanderbilt's running away with this one? Okay, so uh, FEI likes the Commodores by uh, 12.3. Okay. Uh, SP plus, uh, sorry, I'm trying to find it real quick. They also like the Commodores by uh, 14.6 with an 80% win probability. All right, so what's your prediction here? Uh, I think it's just going to be another long day for the Rebels. Ooh, blowout loss? Not a blowout loss, but it's the kind of loss where, you know, even if the defense is able to hold things together, again, like they were able to for at least, I don't know, most of the game, a fair chunk of the game against Boise State last week, I just don't really have a lot of faith in the offense to turn things around. So I'm going to say 28-14 Vanderbilt. So fairly close. Or it's going to look a lot wise, closer than the final wise. score would indicate. Let's put it that way. Okay, I'm kind of in the same area. I think it's going to be 30 to 17 for Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt's not very good. And yeah, they're not very good. And UNLV will make some plays. That's kind of my thinking here. It might be like that Northern Illinois game a little bit, but I'd still say Northern Illinois is better than UNLV. 
And so that's why I'm a part of the reason I'd lean toward the Rebels not winning. And they got a tracker, track record of not winning. And so is this a um, – I ask this all the time. This is not a coach or winner go home game, is it, for Coach Sanchez this week? Yeah, I mean, like I said, if they haven't done it by now. What are you waiting for? They're probably just waiting for the end of the season, to be honest. I guess. it's um, Okay. Next game. This game is quite intriguing to me. San Jose State at Nevada. This game, it, ooh, I don't have the TV info. Is this a um, Facebook game? Uh, it is an AT&T Sportsnet game. Oh, okay. So, sorry, Matt, you can't watch this one. I bummer. I might be able to. We'll see. <laughs> Are you really bummer or just like, yeah, whatever? You know what? All Mountain West football is good football. Let's it put it is. that way. I'm just saying. There's priorities to watch sometimes. So, this game, is Nevada only a three-point favorite because of how of their blowout loss last week versus Hawaii? Uh, I am seeing it at uh, two and a half. Oh, I'm looking over at ESPN. I got three. But regardless, being that close, is that surprising to you? Is, do you think it's a knee-jerk reaction, or do they really think Nevada's not great and San Jose State's sort of on the rise? Well, yeah, I think so. Both? I mean, and this was something that, that Chris Murray over at Nevada Sportsnet has really talked about at length in multiple articles uh, because the big thing for the Wolfpack in this game is – you know, Carson Strong is out. Malik Henry's in. Yeah, you mean the guy who said, I'm going to walk past you and not talk to anybody at my first career start? Cool, thanks. <laughs> now, see, I saw that, and I really wish I had more context because, yeah, he might have been you know, feeling good that day and was just like, you know, focused, locked in on trying to make sure he's, mm-hmm. you know, prepped or anything like that, or if he was like, you know, unhappy about something. Or I feel like, you know, taking the quote by itself doesn't really give me everything that I need in that particular situation. I'll tell you this. I've been around plenty of these situations. It, it's it, This was not I, – I'm okay. I, I can't say for certainty because I wasn't there. They're doing practice, and, like, when I visit practices and chat with players afterwards, coaches, usually it's like, hey, let me chat with this guy here. There's two ways this could turn out. I, I'm not just throwing him under the bus. I'm just kind of – my logical thinking of what happened and how practices I've attended over the years have gone. So it's like, Hey, let me chat with like, Oh, let me chat with Malik. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case because they'd come back and say, Oh yeah, he could talk or what did they give a reason? Like, yes, he'll be out here soon. Or, Oh, he has school or he has treatment or something where he can't come out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this case would have been, they're all just watching practice out in the open. Like, and there's like, honestly, not to put down Reno, but there's not a there's how many people are covering the gate practice four or five maybe, like a radio guy. We know there's a couple of print and digital guys, maybe a TV station out there. Like, oh, let's go chat with them. And you would think, if you're a smart SID, you know what you're doing. I guess better than others because that job can be a difficult job, hurting all these people to do a million different things. It's probably one of the things where it was just, hey, he's running off the field. Hey, let's chat for me. He's like, oh, no, I'm good because I've done it like University of Utah. It's like that where you're on the field. You kind of chat with the SID, hey, I want to get this guy, this guy, and they may bring him up. But you would think the smart thing to do by everybody involved, head coach, player, information guy, hey, you're getting your first start here. You need to chat with these guys, even if, if for, it's like for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Just from a look, stand, look, a look at, looking at a perspective, like, hey, he's getting his first start. People are going to chat with you. Him coming by and it's like, see, I'm out of here, not talking, essentially. It doesn't look good. Because they should have realized, hey, like I said, you need to chat with you guys for a minute or just say he's not available. But then again, I wasn't there. And if the practice is just fend for yourself and grab who you want, okay. 
that's understandable a little bit. But then again, you need to look at the position Nevada's in. We're like, hey, we need to realize people are going to chat with this guy, have a conversation before practice to if you don't want to chat with them. Like if they want to talk or not, I don't care. That's fine. I'd prefer if they did just because and the spot they're in, it's like, oh, it's um, he's had this history of transferring schools, being on the Netflix show and all that stuff at the Independence uh, Community College. But mm-hmm. I'm not putting all the blame on him, but there's blame somewhere where the organization of what that, how that broke down was not good. Yeah, I mean, to me, from my point of view, it's unless I know more, I just kind of consider it much to do about nothing. Yeah, it's 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 like it's I yeah, it probably is, but it's also not a great look. Where he's just yeah. kind of like, "I'll see you later, guys." It, it's not because they know they they know people want to chat with him when he's getting the starting job for the first time in Nevada. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if they want to talk, that's fine. Like, nope, he's focused on the game. We doesn't want to get distractions. I get it. Or give me two minutes or something, and just be done. Like, give me three questions, and that's it. Mm. I'm just saying from what I've done it's like Nevada who's in charge of doing that type of stuff should should re- look at the situation and realize what just realize what people want to do and talk to that particular player so that's all but he's getting his first start ever he's um I don't know we'll see what he does because he barely played what did he do two was he like three or three last week or something like that in his first start or I mean not first uh, start but appearance two of two or something he played a little bit against UTEP and was three or three. Yeah. That's what it was, UTEP. Two weeks ago, not last week. So we literally know very little about his type of play because when he was at the JUCO, his first year's pretty good. He barely played the second year because he had no offers. He was a walk-on guy at Nevada. Mm-hmm. And so he went back to the JUCO route for and played in two games. So I don't know. Playing San Jose State, it's going to be – like it's a good opponent to ease into, I'd say, because they, they do some good things, but we know they're not amazing or not great. But it's not a game where they're going to walk over and he's going to come in and throw for 275 yards and like three touchdowns either. Well, I mean, I guess it depends. I don't I don't know. I mean, because I think when you look at why they made the decision, it's really that you know we kind of expected the passing offense to take us, you know, if not just take a step forward to at least hold on to the gains that they made last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, at least to date, you know, their their interception rate just by percentage is a little bit worse than it was last year. It's, it was 3.9 now and 3.4 in, in 2018, you know, by passer rating, they're only ninth in the conference. It's down around 112. you know, their yards per attempt has fallen way off from over seven down to 5.7. And I don't know if it's as easy a draw as, as you are insinuating it is because one thing that San Jose State has done really well is create you know opportunities for themselves by picking off passes. They're number mm-hmm. one in the conference with 11 interceptions to date. And I think that that's done a lot to overcome some of the more obvious shortcomings that the Spartans are still dealing with. Yeah. Like one thing that I think is worth noting is that you know through five games they still only have four sacks. You know, at least as far as sack rate is concerned, they're still 125th nationally. So they just haven't been able to get to the quarterback as often as you might expect. And maybe that's part of the motivation for the switch is that we know Henry is probably going to be at least a little bit more mobile, you know, more likely to create plays with his legs than someone like Carson Strong would be able to. And when you consider also that we didn't really talk about it during the last week's recap, but uh, left tackle Jake Nelson is out for the year now. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, another thing that might impact what they will ultimately want to do on offense. I don't know. It's one of those things that could 
go out either way. It could give them the spark that they really need to revitalize that passing game, or it could be the kind of thing where he falls into the same kind of bad habits that both Christian Solano and Strong fell into, which is just not being able to take care of the football and just not being efficient enough. That was a fun park I had here. I'll have to do something in a moment, but I'll keep it rolling here. So, but <laughs> just for wondering, my dog, I have a little dog. I'm like, why is it barking? It has a small kennel, like just in the hallway over here. And we put it in there when we go out. It just jumped in for some reason. And I'm oh. here and everybody's here. I'm like, okay, cool. So maybe I'll pull him out in a second. We'll see. We'll keep going here. But I look up, I'm like, what's going on? So here's my back thing with Nevada offense. What's up with Tawatua? Is it what, why, how is it sophomore slump? Because he's kind of the reason, like you mentioned, if the passing game doesn't stay the same with the new quarterback, we all banked on the running game being really good. And he's been kind of a disappointment this year. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. He's, I'm scrolling here, he's 14th and he's only averaging four and a half yards a carry, two touchdowns. I'd say it's more than sort of. Yeah, I mean, four and a half is not bad. But you I, just, be, I think on a per game basis, like he's kind of in that same Charles Williams situation where I think we would have expected like an increase in the wait, amount of wait, touches. Wait. Charles he got. Williams is averaging eight yards a carry. Well, you know what I mean. Like last year, <laughs> last year Tao was very good. He was averaging four point nine yards per carry, and he had at least on on the ground, you know, thirteen fourteen carries per game. I think part of the problem is we didn't expect him to have a reduction. Mm-hmm in the amount of attempts that he has, because to date he's averaging a shade over 12. Or not, per- sorry, that's four, yeah, 12. He's had one game of single digits. Last, maybe the Hawaii game's a difference was 17, but it's been lower than what people thought. Well, and some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, when you look at the Hawaii game, when you look at the Purdue game, when you look at pretty much every game they've played so far this year, there really hasn't been much opportunity for them to establish the run. They've had to rely on their passing game to play catch-up most of the time. Sorry about that. I actually did get up and go over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Sorry. Um, so the running game, right, Tawa? Is that we are talking about? I'm not going to edit this out because why not? It's fun. Yeah. Good enough. <laughs> who cares? Um, no, not who cares, but it stuff happens. So you, you're, you're, you're basically fine with the running game? Or would you want it to be better? Could just I mean, say. I think on a per-play basis, you could expect it to be better. But I think that the way that the situations have unfolded more often than not has really forced them to rely more on the passing game than on Tala on the ground game. So what do you think about Josh Love then? He's clearly the best quarterback, probably the best player almost on this game in the field. Is this a game where Nevada, like I said, Nevada's barely a slight favorite? What we've seen with Love, if assuming he has a – because I get New Mexico last week, they're not very good. First half was great. Second half was not great because they allowed New Mexico to come back and he didn't play as well. I'm thinking he's going to be have one of his better games of his career this weekend. Hmm. Because Nevada gives up, near, what, 280 yards a game in the air? Just about? Just about, yeah. Yeah, and so it's like I, I, I'm not super confident they're going like, to stop him or anything all that much. I mean, I think I think a lot is going to depend on how much pressure they that Nevada can put on them, because it's not that they have like an inability to get in the backfield because they're actually right in the middle of the Mountain West Pack as far as you know tackles for loss are concerned. Um, you know, so one thing I think that might figure into how this game unfolds is 
we know that San Jose State has a trouble with its own running game. Yeah. And that that is also something that Nevada has actually been pretty good at. Um, we haven't really talked enough about the guys up front and what they've been able to do so far. You know, guys like uh, Dom Peterson, for instance, or mm-hmm. Sam Hammond, you know, Chris Green, Cameron Toomer, all those guys have, you know, multiple tackles for loss. Part of the problem Nevada's had so far is that they have just eight sacks to date, which is, you know, a little bit below the national average. It's 104th nationally, 4.5% sack rate. So if they can get home, that's something that might play into their hands. But again, that's kind of a big if because one, Josh Lott has been playing really well. But that's also something that San Jose State's actually been pretty good about defending. Like as for as as rough as they've had it as far as, you know, establishing the run, the offensive line is in the top twenty five as far as its own sack rate. And they've been, you know, even better on those early downs, on standard downs when they want to lean on the pass to move the ball down the field. You know, they have a standard down sack rate that's fifth in the country. So even if Nevada can force them to be one-dimensional, force them into more obvious passing downs, I don't know that it's necessarily a guarantee that they'll force Josh Love into a mistake because more often than not, he hasn't. Yeah. You know, he has one interception on the year. And they're like sacks allowed. They're only seven on the season. Exactly. And so – you mentioned running game is kind of a concern for San Jose State. They're not really doing anything great. They're actually last in the conference. It's not even cl- well yards per play. This is interesting. I will. You'll never guess who who's averaging fewer yards per play running the running the ball than San Jose State because they're San Jose State's eleven. Do you know who twelve is? Isn't it like Fresno State? San Diego State. San Diego State. That's right. Two point. And again, that, and again, that's not adjusted. That's not adjusted for sacks though either. No, it's just. But mind. still, over about a half yard. That's kind of eye popping. But they've had their injuries and Juan Washington's back. But yeah, I think if it's all on love, I don't think they'll do it. Even though he, like I said, he's only the one pick. He's not getting sacked very often. He's making good throws. But if it's only him, I don't think they can get to win. It's gonna they're gonna need some sort of running game to help him out in this matchup. Because I think Nevada, it all depends too. Like we don't know what Malik Henry is gonna do, so it's kind of a we're kind of shooting in the dark here on some of this stuff, at least passing game wise, of what Nevada can do. But we know San Jose State's defense can perform well, and yeah, it was New Mexico last week. They did pretty good for the first half, second half they kind of uh, opened up a little bit to allow some points come their way. But I might be leaning San Jose State in this one, Matt. I might be. Well, I mean, you say that Josh Love may not be able to do it all. Uh, I might contend that he could because, you know, as an extension of the conversation we had about New Mexico a few minutes ago, uh, the Wolfpack are dead last as far as opponents passer rating. Ooh. You know, they do have six interceptions, but they've also allowed 17 touchdowns through the air. And they are actually next to last ahead of only the Lobos as far as yards per attempt. Maybe I'll mend so, my statement there. <laughs> so even if San Jose State kind of scraps, you know, with this, you know, to get its run game going, I think Josh Love has shown enough that he's going to be a tough test for the secondary, which again, they've had moments, but I think that they still have a lot to prove overall. And, you know, if they can, you know, shut him down, if they can force third down stops or even create short fields for the Wolfpack offense, you know, that kind of remains to be seen, but that's kind of a huge if, I think, if you're a Wolfpack fan, just because they haven't really had much success. You know, going back to just, you know, points per drive, 
they, they <laughs> overall the Wolfpack's defense is 126th nationally as far as points per drive allowed. So if you if you're a San Jose State fan, I think you know you go back and look at what they've done over the last couple of weeks. You know, maybe not so much of a, a ground game, but Love has been able to get it done, and that's definitely something that could happen again. All right, let me give you a quick no- a few numbers here. This game really should be a pick em, in my opinion, looking at who's the score projections by different places online. Mm-hmm. So really quick, Nevada's home record as a home favorite, 0-2. San Jose State's 2-0 as an away underdog. <laughs> There's that. Nevada's only 1-2 at home. Nevada- San Jose State's undefeated on the road. Um, so so to, to yeah. echo that point, uh, FEI favors the Spartans by 0.9 <laughs> points. Uh, SP plus likes Nevada by 0.6. That's basically how 51% t- win probability. Yeah, that's how team rankings has it here. They have Nevada 30.3 to 28.4. That's the big margin there, almost two points. But the number fire 28.2 to 27.1. Even ES- ESPN's their um, what is it? What is it? The um, I guess it's FPI the their percentage. Yeah. Deal. What's it called here? 57.9%, 57.9 in favor of San Jose State. So who you got? I'm looking at our other guys' picks. A couple mixed. I'm doing it. I'm going Spartans. Okay. Um, 34.30. And they'll cover as well. I'm doing it. Okay. Uh, I got the Spartans as well. Ooh. Uh, I think my I think the margin of victory is going to be a little bit bigger, though. Oh, I'm going to say 31 to 21. Why is that new quarterback or what's the deal? What's your reason beside behind that 10 point victory? Potentially. I just, I, I wonder whether the quarterback switch is going to make the offense any less erratic. I kind of have my doubts in that regard. So you said again, 31, 21, 31 to 21. Right, I'm just typing this, State. typing this down for prosperity. Cause we need to, yeah. <laughs> And just for the record, I'll, I'll have our picks up by the time you read this for, or hear this from everybody else. It's um, kind of a mixed bag. Like there's a – somebody has Brandon, our new Hawaii guys, San Jose State 35-21 over in Nevada. So you're not the biggest vic- the biggest merger of victory there, Matt. All right, then. There's a couple. Like Nevada, It's most of them are pretty close. So And it's kind of a split, Nevada versus San Jose State. So All right, next game. What do we got here? Fresno at Air Force. Yes, sir. Have you checked your Twitter in the last five minutes, Matt? I have not. So maybe it's 15. So Air Force Academy put out a live video real quick or a 15-second video of their Falcon Stadium. Snow. I did see that, yeah. <laughs> it's um, snowing. <laughs> I went and checked weather.gov, though. Not going to happen. Uh, it's supposed to be like 60 degrees at yeah, takeoff yeah, yeah. on Saturday. So. It's like it is here. It's um, got super cold today. Not as cold as Colorado for me here in Utah. But it's it is supposed to warm back up. But it's like a weird. You've probably seen everybody. It's like this massive historic forty degree swing, fifty de- fifty degree swing over. Because like yesterday for me it was like seventy five, and now it's like thirty five. Yeah. So it just I see that I'm like hmm, interesting. Also, um, really quick. So Gazette Sports put out a little piece. Um, I don't think this is going to happen, but they ponder the question: What if uh, Troy Calhoun has a third straight losing season? Would he be fired? Because that's happened to Fisher DeBerry when he was like a while back. I say that's no. an interesting question. I don't think, well, first off, I don't think they're going to have a losing record, so I think that's a null point. Yeah, you could be right about that. So I just saw that. I'm like, oh, I thought I think that type of piece it's warranted, but I think it's a touch early to comment on that. Mm. So I was chatting with the guys from ESPN Honolulu last night. They're asking me about Fresno State. 
hey, Matt, do you know what the deal is with Fresno State? Because I don't know who they are, really. And Raj gets mad at us. They're five games in, four games in. I'm like, well, they beat New Mexico State and Sac State and were close versus two okay Power 5 teams. I guess Minnesota's undefeated, but still. Like, do you so, do you really have a handle on who this team is? Because I really don't still, and we're half almost halfway through the year. I don't think a lot of people do. No, um, and I and this was something that I've been thinking about myself because, you know, for those of you who follow kind of the weekly SP Plus rankings, you knew coming into the season that Fresno State, at least among Mountain West teams, was. I think they were like a, basically a top 50 team in the preseason, even after so. the adjustments that Bill Connolly made. But right now, I think if I remember correctly, they're down in the eight, they're down in like the the low 70s, high 80s or something like that. And so I was curious. I asked Bill Connolly where most of that change came from, and he his answer was that you know you expected them to beat Sacramento State and New Mexico State, mm-hmm. but you expected them to handle those teams. You know, more aggressively than they actually did. And that's where most of the slide has come from. And maybe some of it can be blamed a little bit on injuries. You know, I think I mentioned in, in one of the recap podcasts or another that uh, Chris Coleman, for instance, who, you know, you may remember him making a couple big catches in week one against USC. Uh, he's slated to start a cornerback. Hmm this week because okay. they needed him to <laughs> we need you here okay so can they you needed a bodies at cornerback because you know <laughs> really jaron bryan is still there but uh chris gaston is hurt uh i'm trying to remember his name Deshaun ruffin i believe his name is hurt he's hurt too so they needed guys back there because the only other guy that they had was a true freshman and i don't know if they necessarily wanted to press him into action more often than necessary um you know they've been dealing with some issues at wide receiver like Carrick Wheatball missed a couple games but he came back uh and between him and Edward and Emery Edwards and Zane Pope it looks like they have kind of their top three set to this point um Jorge Reina has been a little bit up and down Mm -hmm. so I and the running game I think is one of those things that I've talked about at least a couple times in recap podcasts but you know, you expected them to take a step forward, especially against defenses like New Mexico State. Uh, and on a per play basis, they've actually been kind of eh, overall like they're they're seventh in the conference, four point four nine yards per play. But that's not much better than they were last year. And I think that you expected Ronnie Rivers, you know, if he was getting the lion's share of you know, the work on the ground, that they'd be mm-hmm. a little bit better, but. They really haven't been like on line no. yards. They're 80th on the opportunity rate. They're 106th nationally, uh, or excuse me, that's on defense. Let me pull up offense real quick. Um, but it's just hard to tell who, like you said, it's hard to tell who this team is because like USC was a close one. But if, like, even even had they beat like let's real while you looking that up, had they had that touchdown versus USC, not the pick and got the win, I still probably wouldn't feel much more at ease about what I think of this team. Because that game came down to like what two plays essentially. Yeah, it's just there's enough weird wrinkles that just make you wonder. And, yeah. You know, for instance, Jared Rice has basically been a non-factor all year long. Um, you know, little things like that that I think you expected a little more, and it just hasn't come together yet. And when you consider like we we kind of know what air force wants to do they want to limit opportunities for the opposing offense they want to push the ground game and there's a lot of questions on both sides of the ball that make you wonder just how much Fresno State's going to be able to keep up in this game 
It should be noted really quick, as I just asked. Now, Isaiah Sanders is out for a couple weeks. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah. So, Mike Schmidt's backup QB. And so, the way Troy Calhoun is a switch on quarterbacks, I would not be surprised if Schmidt gets time in there, but he shouldn't. But it's also to like you're playing Air Force. Like, can I stick with them real quick? It's like a bro- beating a broken record, but like they're going to stick with anybody. And I don't think their record is as bad as they are because there's Boise State. They were right in that game. There's that wide open pass missed. A sort of a fluky, lucky, concentrated catch for Boise State to lead to a touchdown, mm-hmm. which kind of the difference in the game. Those two big plays couldn't – maybe the game changed, maybe not. If there's a touchdown or if Boise field goal or punt or – I forget what happened after, but no points possibly if that's a pick or dropped. So, like, we know Air Force is still pretty good, right? It's not a team that's bad, but it's an area where I think we'll know – besides saying, hey, we'll know who Fresno is – We'll kind of know, like, if Jorge Randy can actually throw the ball and do well, this is a game where we'll know kind of where he's at, I think. We'll have enough games where he's playing a decent enough team to be, okay, we realize what he can do and who he's passing to. Because, again, remember, Fresno has a handful of new receivers this year as well. It's not like it's Keyshawn Johnson back to these other guys. It's I know it's midseason. It shouldn't matter. But it's a – I don't know. They're just – like, I tried to describe it last night, chat with those guys, but I still – like I said, it's hard to describe what this team is. We kind of know their defense is pretty good. Maybe not as good as last year. Quarterback plays fine. Like, they're just a fine team. Like, and this is a chance, like, the way Navy threw the ball, like, when, and not Navy, but the way Navy game tried to go through it. But maybe this is a game Fresno can run well against Air Force. I don't know, because I know running what they run is different than the option attack that Navy puts on the field. So it's like, can you really compare if it's the bad running attack or, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, whether it may be, or just the efficiency through the air. Yeah, I mean, this is the first real litmus test. Yeah, it's like that's why it's hard for me like to describe what, what's going on. I'm like, I know they're pretty good, but I don't know if they're pretty good. <laughs> well, and I think that the game could hinge on a few different things just in how they play out. Like one thing I look for is, you know, we know that they have those wide receivers, but each of those wide receivers has had a stretches where they look pretty good. And and for the most part, you know, Reyna, it's not like he's been chopped liver or anything. He's actually been pretty solid if you look at the entire body of work. If even if he's not necessarily on the same level of like a Hank Bachmeyer, for instance, you know, making plays down the field. He's been okay. He's gotten better at taking care of the football. And when you look at the Air Force secondary, you know, they haven't been that proficient about creating turnovers like they only have two interceptions on the air but they also have only 14 pass breakups too and so if i'm a fresno state fan that's where i look first is you know how are edwards and and darian Grimm and wheatball and pope and, and whoever else ends up in that rotation throughout the game how many plays are they going to be able to create against the secondary that you know, we talked about it in the recap podcast they blew it last week against navy and Reyna's yeah. got a better arm than Malcolm Perry. Oh, obviously. So I think that they shouldn't hesitate to take shots down the field or just find ways to help those receivers catch and run because, you know, the Air Force has had moments where they've looked pretty solid, but they've also had moments where they looked really dicey as well, defending the pass. So how important is this game for Fresno to win if they want to contend for the Western title with already one division loss? Well, I mean, that's the theme across, you know, I think, pretty much all the rest of these games that we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, I said it on Twitter. Like, this is the proving ground. Yeah, this week. Huge games. Yeah, but especially with these these games happening later in the day. So it is absolutely critical. For both teams, actually, not just Fresno, but... 
Yeah, because Air Force is going to be motivated because they want to stay in the Mountain Division ways. Yeah. So if they, if they lose again, they're yeah. basically done. Yeah, I made a mistake. Sorry, Fresno doesn't have a loss. I was looking at Air Force's schedule. They got the one loss. Yeah. So that's the question. Sorry, more toward uh, Air Force. But like this game, like ESPN FPI, they gave Air Force a 61% chance to win. And like number fire and team rankings all have Air Force winning by three to five points. Mm-hmm. And they're the home favorite. But I there's a reason this game is so low, low scoring game. I think like I, everybody knows I was pretty high in air force into the season. I think I predicted this as a victory back in like July and August. Mm-hmm. I could still see that happening, but the way Navy kind of went against air force a little bit on this high percentage pass plays, if air force has to go to backup quarterback, because also remember the running game last week versus air force was one of their worst in a long time. Mm-hmm. Like even if you, remove that 20-something yard fumble at the end of the game that goes against rushing yards. They didn't run the ball very well. And I'm pretty sure Fresno's defense is better than Navy, right? Again, that's a kind of a huge I know, that's the point. That's the thing. It's like, talk to us on Sunday afternoon. And and it kind of goes back to that same conversation we had last week where, you know, Air Force, you know, Navy did those little things a little bit better than, than Air Force did. Yeah. But, you know, at least as far as, you know, their overall performance with what we know they want to do, they're still pretty solid. You know, they're still extremely proficient in short guarded situations. They're their fifth in power success rate on offense. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that really lines up with something that if you, if you, even if you don't necessarily want to call it Fresno State weakness, it's something that we still don't necessarily know how good they are at it. Because conversely, on defense, you know, the Bulldogs, by their own power success rate, are 105th nationally. They're 106th in uh, opportunity rate, which is the, those numbers that I got mixed up a moment ago. So, you know, if if I'm a Bulldogs fan or if I'm a Falcons fan, one thing, another thing that I look for is how well are they going to be able to contain Taven Birdo in particular? Yeah. Because he's the team's leading rusher. And if you just look at the split stats, one thing that jumps out is that he has seen his most work and he has done his best work in particular on first downs. So, you know, the pressure is going to be on those guys, especially on the interior of the defense guys like, you know, Kaidi Iacopo and, and Kevin Atkins, Jasad Haynes and them to step up and put Air Force kind of behind the eight ball. And then if they can create those third down situations to be able to, you know, not get taken advantage of by those, you know, 50, 50 shot plays that Donald Hammond is going to want to throw because he's actually been a little bit better than you would expect on third downs in particular. I think to date, I'm trying to pull up the numbers as I talk, he's 11 of 19, you know, 57% completion rate, uh, but he has nine conversions. And we know that the Bulldogs have struggled more often than not at just getting off the field on defense. So it's not going to be enough to just slow the ground game. Like they've got to be able to do that and then keep them from getting those big chunks on second or third down if they do decide to run or throw the football. So what does FEI and all those guys say? FEI likes Air Force. Uh, they have them up by 6.1 points. Ooh. SP Plus also likes the Falcons by 7.6, which is a 67% win probability. What do you think? Uh, I got to take Air Force in this game, too. You do? Yeah. What's your score, then? Uh, I have the Falcons winning 28-24. to 28-24? to 24? I'm debating on Fresno State winning because I could easily see either team win this game. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be 30 to 28 for Air Force. Yeah, I mean, and there's a reason the line's only three and a half. Yeah, like, and it's also, like, it's kind of quirky to know, like, who's Fresno, but that's what we have right now of what they've played and what they've accomplished. We're about to find out, that's yeah, for sure. Give check back Sunday night, and we'll tell you what's going on, right? The real deal. So I got Air Force uh, straight up and uh, not covering, so I'll switch my pick here, because I was almost going to go Fresno State, but I decided not to. So this also could, should be an entertaining game as well, and who knows, this could be, like, not, we're not just saying because it's a game, but this could be a Mountain West title game rematch, possibly, if things go a certain way. Unlikely, because Boise needs to lose twice for Air Force to get in there, but I think Air Force, this will be a, it's one of the better games, because these teams will probably finish top two in their division, I think, in that range. Mm-hmm. All right, next game. Do we need to go to the big one, or should we save that for last? No, let's do it. Also, oh, wait, we didn't mention this game, Air Force, CBS Sports Network. Five Mountain, four Pacific, so just so you realize. I think I would also maybe take exception because I think there are a few big ones this week. I said a few big ones. I didn't say that was the big one. I meant the biggest one. (laughs) So, Hawaii at number 14, Boise State. 715 Pacific, 815 Mountain. That's what, 515 Hawaii time? Does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. ESPN2. Broncos are a hefty 12.5 point favorite. First off, what's your thoughts on that line? Two, is about two touchdowns accurate? Yeah, that sounds about right. So what do you like? So what's your first thoughts on this game? Like, can you see that? What's the deal? Hmm. I mean, it's going to be really interesting because we know that Boise's strength, at least that its most consistent strength, has been on the defensive side of the ball, and that is something that. Hawaii is it's going to do whatever it can to try and take advantage of that because we know Hawaii is going to come out throwing the football but one of the more interesting things that I think about when I think about this game is you know we talked about it a little bit ago with the Air Force and we also talked about it with Nevada Boise State is dead last as far as passes defended overall in the conference they have three interceptions but they only have 10 pass breakups which is you know, for all the talent that they have in the defensive backfield. And, you know, I, I believe DeAndre Pierce is supposed to be back this week. So that's another key player that they're getting back there on the defensive side. Um, to me, it's still kind of a mystery because if, if Hawaii is going to be able to get its receivers open in space or get its receivers down the field, we might see Boise get exploited in a way that we really haven't. Very often this year, I was because, asked this. Or, sorry, go ahead. I was just say, because we know that like they've they've been strong anyway, despite the the dearth of pass breakups. Because you know they're number one in the Mountain West as far as opponents, you know, completion percentage, for instance. And I think they're number two in your opponents' yards per attempt. So it's not like they haven't been in a slump or anything like that. But this is going to be a very very big test for them in a way that you know the likes of Air Force and UNLV just haven't been. I was asked this last night because I was chatting with the Hawaii guys uh, from whatever sports animals yesterday. So they asked me this because it's a really good question. Hawaii has had four different receivers, Cedric Bird, JoJo Ward, Jared Smart, Jason Matthews, Sharsh, have at least one game with 100-plus yards. Mm-hmm. Which my response was, like, it's kind of like I kind of did the basketball analogy. It's like if you're playing against like when Le- LeBron James, Steph Curry, or whoever – 
It's like uh, James Harden. They'll get their points regardless. They'll get they'll they'll have their success no matter what. Mm-hmm. I think that's I that's probably what's gonna happen because Cedric Bird is the leading guy in this team with nine touchdowns, even though JoJo Ward's right behind him. But catch wise, he has forty. The other three are kind of evenly spread out with twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. And they're asking me, well, would you change your defense? And I'm like, probably not, because if you make a change to your defensive strategy too much, it's something where you might be reacting instead of being instinctive. And you're, there's going to be one guy who's going to have 150 yards. I, I'm pretty sure it's a given. I just think they'd rather have it be Cedric Bird than, like, say, Jared Smart have that type of game and, like, three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. But I don't think they're going to change too much, maybe a little scheme-wise. But they're not going to overhaul or make any changes just to stop one guy. I think they'll play their game and then make stuff on the fly as it goes. Like, oh, Cedric Bird's getting open here. Or why is Jared Smart doing this? Why is JoJo Ward going here? But there's going to be one guy that's going to have a big game. And it's probably Bird or Ward, but just let him have it. Don't let some random dude like James Phillips beat you in this game or something. I mean, I think one guy who I'm very interested to see how they deploy him is Kekaula Kaniho, because the only other player in the conference that has more TFLs than he does is actually Curtis Weaver. Because Curtis Weaver's been busy terrorizing quarterbacks all yeah. season long. All-time sack record. Yeah, Kaniho has, has seven tackles for loss. Pretty good. But I'm willing to bet he's going to need to play more coverage in this game than he will be kind of defending the run. So I'm very interested to see what kind of responsibility he has in containing this Hawaii passing game. Yeah, that's a big thing as well because it's a run and shoot. They're going out with, what, four wideouts, typically, mm-hmm. three to five. And one thing, too, I mentioned, like, it's a big deal. There's that which could take him out of the game, which – not take him out of the game, but maybe make him do something different. Or it maybe it will. Maybe or it could be where he comes in and plays up and they bring somebody else to cover. But I think the biggest thing in this game really, and I think we both know it, it's Cole McDonald. And is he going to be a guy who the Oregon State game where he plays well, or is it gonna be the Arizona guy that shows up? Because mm-hmm. if he he's a guy who tries to make like a Brett Favre type pass where he sees a keyhole, thinks it's a wide open window, and throws a pass that's intercepted. He needs to take the sack, throw it away, and not force it every single time he thinks he may have it. Be smart about, okay, I'll just do another down. We'll punt here if they're going to punt. But don't just force it just to force. He's going to do it regardless. But maybe be pull back a little bit and don't always make those type of throws. Because we can tell when he's kind of being a little bit erratic out there and kind of wild when he's running out of the pocket to throw the ball. He just needs to be a touch more careful at times and not – thinking he can make every throw every time because he's that good of a quarterback, which he's pretty, he's really good. But we've seen what happens when he is off by just like an inch or two because he tries to throw it where he thinks somebody's open. Well, and related to that, this might be the best offensive line that Boise State has faced so far this year. Mm -hmm. So how much impact is Curtis Weaver and company going to have? Even if he's not getting sacks, are they going to be able to get home and force him off his spot? I think they will. Maybe not as often as they're used to, but I think they'll still get to him a little bit. And that I think is kind of that is one of the big ifs because for as strong as Boise has been, and I think that you know obviously Curtis Weaver's gotten the lion's share, but just as a team, they are seventh in defensive sack rate in you know so far this year. They're you know twelve point four percent, which is almost unheard of. But Hawaii has been pretty good about keeping McDonald upright. You know, their own sack rate along their offensive line is is 25th nationally. It's under 4%. So that's definitely going to be one of those things that this game will hinge upon. 
is, you know, if they give more attention to Curtis Weaver, like maybe, you know, if, uh, if Il Manning gets some help on the blind side from whoever's in the backfield, whether it's, you know, Fred Holly or whatever, it, if they can give McDonald that split second of time to wind up and take shots down the field, you know, if they frustrate Weaver, if they frustrate, you know, Chase Atata or something like that, what is that ultimately going to look like for, for the Broncos defense? So what's your, uh, their Boise's defense is that good. So I don't think there's a concern really to me that much. Right. I like, it's just kind of history of what they've done. They got the all time sack leader, man. They're going to make some plays. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, but, if they don't, if they don't, though, yeah, is the way you're going to be able to take advantage of that? I st- I still think it comes back to Cole McDonald of him not throwing the ball in the triple coverage. That's and that's kind of the big if. That's my you, biggest you could, thing. You could see Boise getting picked apart, but you could also see Cole McDonald having like three or four interceptions and getting benched for Chevin McDonald Cordero again. Yeah, because look at like really quick going back to the opening game, I'm trying to see what he had. He had what four touchdowns, four picks. Mm-hmm. And he still threw. Let me pull up Cole McDonald's game log really quick. Yeah, he's twenty nine to forty one. He was still seventy percent completion rate, but had four picks and four touchdowns. Yeah, and like I know Washington was a different type of game, the three picks. But if he can do closer to, like, I know he's perfect versus Nevada and Oregon State, pretty good as well. Like eighty three percent Nevada, fifty seven percent Oregon. Say like if I'm going to predict like what he may do, like I would probably say yardage wise, Nevada where he had three twelve. But probably maybe like Washington wise percentage, mm-hmm. like about sixty three percent, and that's still good enough. If he's, if you tell me Cole McDonald, let me ask you this: if he is say twenty of thirty, twenty twenty two of thirty two, three touchdowns and a pick, do they win? Ooh, that's a good question. If he throws three touchdowns, I think it's definitely gonna be close. <laughs> close, so you're still not for sure. Well, okay, and so but that leads to the other part of this conversation that we haven't really gotten into yet, which is um, Boise State's offense against this Hawaii defense, which, you know, the Warriors have been better on a per-play basis through, you know, five games so far. But in a lot of respects, you know, they haven't really been some, anything to write home about. You know, just in terms of like, you know, their defensive sack rate, for instance, we talked about their ability to, mm-hmm. to keep Cole McDonald upright. On defense, though, their own sack rate is even lower than it is on offense. You know, yeah. it's only three and a half percent. One six we, a game. And we just saw last week where UNLV didn't really threaten Hank Bachmeyer at all, which had to had to have been a relief to Boise State fans everywhere. Um, but that's another one of those open questions of like, we know that there's talent in that Hawaii front, but they only have eight sacks on the year. So whether it's Kaimana Padello, whether it's Mason Vega or, or whomever getting pressure on the quarterback, are they going to be able to do that consistently? Are they going to be able to get in Bachmeyer's face like other teams, especially in, in non-conference play had been able to? No, that's a big concern because he, Bachmeyer since game one has been getting hit and hit and hit all the time. And, and, yeah. and there's been a lot of consternation about the Boise state ground game as well. It's been just okay. It's been okay, but again, you know, that's not something that I would necessarily characterize as a Hawaii strength either. Um, just in terms of line yards, you know, they're 105th nationally with the 2.77 yards per. You know, they're in the triple digits as far as opportunity rate. So I think there's going to be opportunity for, for Robert Mahone and George Halani and, or whoever uh, – Whoever get, ends up as the hot hand, let's say, yeah. because it ended up it ended up being Halani for the most part last week. 
there's going to be opportunity for them there. But if they don't, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bachmeyer to to keep making plays down the field. And I think that he probably could if they force him into that situation because you know, Hawaii's been better on the back end, but I I just don't know that I am totally sold on everything they've done so far. Like they have five interceptions on the year. They've held – they're actually number one in opponent's yards per attempt, if you can mm. believe that. Interesting. Um, but again, they haven't really faced a quarterback like Bachmeyer yet who can stand in the pocket – extend plays by just standing in there and throwing well i guess with the exception of uh, jacob eason and, and whole, uh, washington but other than that like they i think they've proven that they can exploit you know passing games that are a little bit weaker than they are but there's still a little bit of prove it when it comes to being able to slow or stop a quarterback like bachmeyer and the receivers that he has at his disposal sure here's the thing to remember boise state Excuse me, Hawaii is not very good on the road in the mainland. Not great. They've only had, I well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Is there only one road game they've had this year? Is that right? When they Nevada? No, um, Washington. Sorry, Washington. Yeah, they lost Washington. at Washington. Yeah, too. pretty bad. So they're not great. But last week versus Nevada was just a crazy blowout win. Like Hawaii's not great on the road in the mainland. They're not very good against mountain teams. Partly, partly because they don't play them very often. And they don't play them very often on the road either. So that number, I think you mentioned last like they've never won on the mainland in a division game, but. Don't quote me on that, so they know it's few and far between. So Boise's 14. If they're a 14-ranked team, they should probably just run away at this game, right? I mean, if they if they play on defense the way that they have, they should. And Hawaii's getting some votes. They're getting about, what are they, technically, what, 35th or something? I think so, yeah. Hmm. This game, I and also I remember when we did our preview, Raj kind of made fun of me, chat with him, and he'll listen, we know it. He'll, he'll come back and say something because I'm what, what I'm about to say right now. Because he asked me, like, I felt this game was the most probably the most important game for Boise State on the year just about, for conference-wise. Mm-hmm. Utah State's up there as well because we're high in what Hawaii did last year, and Hawaii's proven us to be a bit better than we thought they'd be. Like, the Arizona game was a toss-up, but if they were 3-2, and two, I'd be like, okay, but they're 4-1. and one. Losing to Washington's fine. It's, they weren't going to beat them. wasn't that close. But like at the very least, like I said, this game will give Boise State trouble if nothing else. And I even said if things go a certain way, I would not be over, overly surprised. I'd be a little, a little bit, if Hawaii were to get the win outright, which I could see happening. But for Hawaii to win, they need to have a more perfect game than Boise State. Like I said, bottom, uh, yeah, that's true. That's partly because it's Cole McDonald. Like the defense is nowhere near as good as this for Boise State. They do some nice things, but they're not great. Like we saw what Khalil Tate did, ran all over them, threw, threw quite a bit. doesn't help when they get opportunities with the four interceptions by Cole McDonald. But like I said, Cole McDonald needs to probably have one pick at most. If they have more than if – if they get three turnovers or more, whether it's combination fumbles, interceptions, they're not winning. So they need to try to keep it as a one, a one turnover for them. On McDonald's side, they're going to get the yardage. They need to find somebody who can run the ball a little bit better with Fred Holly or whoever. Maybe McDonald gets 30 to 50 yards on the ground. But this game's either going to come down two ways. It's either going to be Boise State's going to – actually, three ways. Boise State wins like 40 to 10. Like, I could see it happening. I could see it being a high-scoring game where Boise or Hawaii win by, like, by a touchdown, maybe 10 points. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think who's winning is going to cover. If, like, Boise wins – like my gut saying it's going to be a closer than that 12 points, but I just think this because Hawaii will have so many chances and moving the ball so well, they'll eventually break through. 
but they also can't turn it over to give Boise State a short field and let Bakamari just kind of take care of the secondary for Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So what does FPI say? FE, what uh, okay, so FEI likes the Broncos by 15.1. Okay. Uh, SP Plus also likes Boise State, but by only 9.8, which is a 71% win probability. Mm, okay. What's your point? I think I think that Boise State will cover. Okay. I think it might take them a little while to pull away in the same way that they did last week against UNLV. I think it'll look a little bit different because I think that Hawaii will be able to kind of put up some points early. But I would not be surprised if this ends up like the majority of Boise State games to date where they clamp down in the second half and really kind of take things from there. So I said, uh, I believe I said 38 to 24 in favor of the Broncos. You did. I remember seeing that. My pick, Boise State 35, Hawaii 24. So, I mean, it's why it does cover for me. All right, then. Just barely. Other people, I uh, like how Raj put a score in there, 41-24. We have a couple. Um, most people think they'll cover. I'm the only one who's saying it won't be. But, like, 1 to 10, what would your be surp- surprise level if Hawaii were to pull the upset? Five. Five? Okay. Save me. I'm, I'd be mildly surprised because I think they've got I mean, Boise is a very – I mean, this is not to say that Hawaii is like a team that's playing over its head. It's just that Boise is a very, very good team. No, they're a very good team. And, like, here's the thing too. Like, Marshall, slow slow start, not many points. Come from behind against Florida State, who's not very good. Like, is this the best team Hawaii's played? Real quick, last thing. Is this the best team Boise's played in Hawaii? Is uh, Hawaii better yeah, than Florida State? So. Better than Marshall? They might be, yeah. Okay, all right. So it's okay. I was just curious about that. All right, final game of the weekend. Dueling games. We have to have two screens here. This one was on ESPN, or ESPN 2, sorry. Wyoming at San Diego State, CBS Sports Network, 730 Pacific. These two games are basically a mirror image of each other of who wants to achieve what this year. Wyoming at the Aztecs, and as our voters do in our fan poll and our, and our poll as well, Nobody's, we're still not buying Wyoming very much. Are you buying Wyoming to be like a top four team, Matt? To be that good? I mean, so they're basically like what the, the fifth, I would say. Let me look and see. Well, I, I posted it earlier to them because it's because ba- the conversation is basically what um, Hawaii, Boise, Boise, San Diego State, Wyoming, and Utah State. Utah State. Utah State so yeah, I'd put Utah State in there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It just kind of depends on what you how you choose to measure it, I think. I think the issue with Wyoming is that their offense is just not great. Because we have Wyoming five. Here's the power breaking drill. We have Boise, Hawaii, Utah State ahead of San Diego State by one point. Mm-hmm. And then Wyoming sitting at five. See, what's really interesting about this game, I mean, you say the offense isn't great. Passing um, offense isn't great. It's abysmal. I was going to say, because... I, I was looking through the, the points per drive numbers because I, the, the difference between the two teams is not as big as I think you would have expected. Um, overall, San Diego State does have the edge. Like it, it, Nationally, they're 29th in, with uh, 0.89 net points per drive. Um, and Wyoming is 38th, however. So there's not that much difference between them, but the biggest difference is that for the Aztecs, a lot of that is due to the fact that their defense has been awesome, which again, mm-hmm. we talk about that a little bit every week, but I think it's worth putting it into context just in terms of 
defensive points per drive allowed in particular. They are ninth in the country, 1.09 points per drive allowed. Whereas conversely, you know, Wyoming is a little more balanced in that regard. On defense, they're 26th uh, as far as points per drive allowed. On offense, however, there's a huge difference between the two. Like they're 59th and San Diego State is 81st. Uh, and they have, and that advantage holds whether you're looking at like long drives, whether you're looking at you know, middle drives, or even short. I think uh, short range drives are where the Aztecs finally get an advantage. But I think it speaks to what Wyoming wants to do. Where you know, even if they have their kind of obvious shortcomings throwing the football, that they've been able to thrive anyway. All right. Um... Yeah, I, I, I can I can go with all that stuff you said right there about what these guys can do. Um, I still, it's, let me ask you this real quick. Let me switch up a tiny bit. You know how we talk about Fresno, about how good they are or not good, or we're not sure? Mm-hmm. Are you more confident of knowing who San Diego State is at all? Yeah, I think so. For me, I think it's just a little bit. Just because UCLA is not very good. The Weber State game is just weird. And Utah State was uh that's the only game where I think we're gonna touch more because they had to make that comeback. So mm-hmm. I was curious about that thought. I mean because... I, I think um the most of the reason my answer is yes and and a lot what's gonna be maybe the biggest factor in this game is like the defense is for real. I think that mm-hmm. even with the opponents, you know, we talk like it's the converse of what we just talked about with Fresno State where you would have expected more against inferior competition. Yeah. And on that side of the ball, it really doesn't matter if you're looking at traditional metrics or advanced metrics. The Aztecs have been dominant on that side of the football. And I think that's where you have to really start looking at this game because, you know, the only real hindrance that they've had, which it's it's really going to be a question of how much it's going to come into effect in this game. But like, you know, they have a, a modest sack rate on defense. It's only it's 6.2%. But we know that Wyoming doesn't really throw the ball that much. We know they want to run the ball. Um, but San Diego State's ability to defend the run has basically been you know, among the best in the country, not even just a group of five. You know, Defensive line yards, for instance, 1.59, which is fourth in the country. You know, Their opportunity rate is 14th. Their power success rate, which is just you know, when they're facing third and short, fourth and short, and then the opponent needs a needs a you know to move the chains they're second in the country they're number one overall in stuff rate which is huge and it's not to say that wyoming also doesn't do a lot of those things well but it's going to be a bigger challenge for them than it was against a tulsa or against a missouri because for as strong as the ground game has looked for the most part that i think is where you have to start looking at this game is we know they're going to run the ball we know san diego is going to defend the run and something's going to have to give in that regard. So do you think it will give or what? That's really hard to say. I I don't know. But I think the game is ultimately going to turn one way or the other because we know that if San Diego State gets the upper hand and they force Wyoming to throw on third, even it's over. third and third and mid. <laughs> it's over, right? Like there's, a, there's a chance they're going three and out or even worse, forcing a turnover. Um, so, I mean... We know Wyoming has its strength in its ground game. We know Xavier Dalladay is probably going to be healthier mm-hmm. than he was in this game. Um, and it's not like San Diego State isn't facing its own injury issues. Like Kyrie Woods is out for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be replaced in that secondary. I don't exactly know how much difference that's going to make 
when sin when that Aztecs defense just as a whole has been playing out of its mind. Sure, and they also get Juan Washington, who's more healthy this week because like his yards weren't great, but he still had twenty carries last week. Like if I had to answer the question, I think that I would be inclined to favor San Diego State just because me too. They have looked awesome defending the run, and also like just a big picture overall. Ryan Agnew is doing much doing better and kind of what Christian Chapman and other Aztec quarterbacks have done maybe a couple touchdowns not a ton of yards but efficient not turning the ball over that's miles ahead of what Sean Chambers is doing for Wyoming and so if you look at everything overall both defenses are really good running games are really good passing game might be it's weird to say like how weird is this is this to say that the differences game could be San Diego State's passing game well, I mean, I think and it's I not wrong. I mean, I, I think that we know they want to run the ball, though. Mm-hmm. And and the evidence of that is, like you mentioned earlier, they're dead last on a per carry basis. Yeah. Not adjusted for Saxon or anything, but keep that in mm-hmm. mind. But they're still a half yard worse than San Jose State. But the fact that the only team in the conference that has more carries is Air Force. Yeah. Leads me to believe that, you know, for as good as Ryan Agnew has been, they I think they want to win this game. And I think if if they're going to win this game, they have to get that ground game oh, going. They do. Obviously if it comes down to it and there's a pass some passes involved, I'm taking Agnew a million times over than Sean Chambers. But but you know, but that you know, that conversely for as awesome as San Diego State has been on on offense or excuse me, on defense defending the run, they have been terrible by both the traditional and the advanced metrics as far as being able to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, their own opportunity rate, their own tower success rate, and their own stuff rate are all in the triple digits, which is very, very, very un-Aztec like. But again, going back to what I was mentioning earlier about the fact that Wyoming does a lot of those same things well, you know, their own defensive stuff rate is in, you know, the top forty, their own opportunity rate is in you know, is sixth nationally. So you know, the difference between those two teams in a lot of respects, especially when it comes to establishing the run and defending the run, are not that different. Um, but I don't necessarily think that Agnew against this Cowboys secondary is necessarily a sure thing. Just because they've been, like, even if they haven't necessarily been elite in the same way, like, they're still in the handful of teams, at least so far in the early going, that have. You know, the difference in opponents' passer rating, for instance, is basically just five points. They have as many interceptions as the Aztecs do. You know, they've only given up seven point one yards per care per attempt, rather, which is you know good, not great. And they're also second in the conference as far as opponents' passer or completion rate allowed. So this seems likely. Like obviously, Agnew is the better passer. But it seems just as likely that he bails on you know a pass a little too early, and he ends up taking a big sack more often than not. So there's a, I wouldn't say that there's a wide range of possibilities. It seems most likely that this game is going to devolve into a fist fight. <laughs> you think so? And it might just be the one team that makes the big defensive play, whether it's a pick six or a fumble recovered for a touchdown, or even just a fumble set up on a short field for. You know, Cooper Roth or Matt Ariza. Uh, and that's something else worth keeping in mind where that's another advantage that the Aztecs have in this game is that their kicker has been a little more reliable than the guy we thought would be, you know, the Ray guy finalist coming into this year. 
So you mean the top 10 punter recruiting class are coming to Fort Collins and Laramie? Or not Fort Collins, but you know what I mean? Well, I'm just saying like Arise has been oh, no, eight, eight of nine on field. Sorry, Ray guy, not so punting. I was thinking that – for some reason I thought the punting thing from Stonehouse last week. Now the kicking. Sorry. Yeah. I apologize for that. It's all – it's whatever, kickers. It'll, did I say Ray guy? I meant Lou Groza. Oh, maybe I was right then. Okay. I was like, wait, did he go eight of nine? I'll call it on. The field, how about we just say field goal kicking units so neither of us are confused? That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, Cooper Roth, it's, he's gotten a little better in yeah. the last few weeks but he's you know he's still only eight of 12 on the season and that's one of those things where if this game is close late which it seems a lot of indications seem to suggest that it will you know th- the difference could be that ability to get three points when you know maybe they get stopped at the 25 or something like that and they need to settle for a 40 yard field goal attempt you know, whoever, whichever team is able to convert more of those opportunities it will probably be the team that wins this game. All right. So when we look at this game here, it's at Qual- Qualcomm. Still Qualcomm, right? Is that what it's called still? I believe it's SDCCU Stadium. Can I call it Jack Murphy? Because that's what it used to be called years ago. Murph. Yeah. Murph. <laughs> Aztecs are a 58% um, chance to win between the ESPN FBI matchup predictor. It's everybody's going low scoring with San Diego State twenty one six and team rankings eighteen six. However, mm-hmm. number five, who twenty two to twenty one, real barn burner. There's not <laughs> points are going to be at a premium, and we know that. What's the over under? I didn't look that up. It's um thirty eight, thirty eight. Oh man, I, yeah, thirty eight. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> what did I say? Twenty one seventeen essentially. Yeah, pretty much. What's your score project? Or what's your what's FEI and all those guys say? Uh, FEI likes the Aztecs by 7.9, Ooh, surprisingly. Boy. <laughs> uh, let's pull up SP+. They also like San Diego State by 6 with a 64% win probability. What do you got? Um, I'm going to take the Aztecs. Okay. It's it's going to be low scoring, so I would definitely mm-hmm. encourage taking the under. I'm going to say 16 to 14. <laughs> 16 to 14? It's Any, going to be a, it's going to be a defensive classic, I think. Was you said San Diego State on top, right? Uh, yes. Okay, just making sure. I'm I'm typing this up here, so when we post, put this up later, people know. My prediction: San Diego State twenty-one win sixteen. So not many points, and the winner of this game is on. It's the same with the Boise um, Hawaii game. The winner of those games clearly take like the front seat to their division at the moment. With getting two tough victories, it would well. I mean, the two games were tough. So, anything else we need to add? Because we've talked far too long today. That's not bad. That's I fine. think we are all set. We are good. So check us out mwire.com for all of our written content. Again, our podcast. We moved over to Anchor. So download their app. It'll be on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you get it. Shortly, I'm waiting for confirmation before I make a change on that to not duplicate our feed. But yeah, so look on our website. You know where to find us on Twitter, MWCWire. We tweet this out a bunch on Facebook. Um, just search Mountain West Wire podcast. But in the meantime, just go to Anchor and you'll find us there. So yeah, um, we'll be back Sunday afternoon and we will know, Matt, we'll know a ton more about these games or these teams on Sunday, right? Exactly. All right. So enjoy your weekend and have fun, folks.